Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. You find uh, much of the New Testament written and Paul going over and over. I mean, if you just read it with that, that lens for a moment, you will see that he is teaching, he is writing, he is speaking to areas where people are deceived to break that deception off so that they are free. And there are so many things that come against us. And um, the Lord Jesus said some things we're about to read where he said, please, do, you know, don't be misled in these areas. Paul said, do not be deceived. You read 1 Corinthians 6 and others. Galatians, do not be deceived. He starts it out with that. And then he explains things particularly related to morality. Don't be deceived. These things are wrong and these things are right. Don't be deceived by these things. Um, And so that's my heart is that we would not be deceived, that we would believe the way that Jesus wants us to believe, that we hold on to him, that a relationship with him is the most important thing. What Mike and Catherine are just talking about, it is the most important, our relationship with Jesus. Let's not allow any pet doctrines. Let's not allow a non-essential to take over a spot. Um, And sometimes that can be a political thing where that thing takes over our emotions and brain energy and attention. We do not want to major on those non-essentials. We can talk about them, but we're not going to make them our gospel in any any way other than the gospel, which the gospel of the kingdom is the one I'm talking about, which we'll do a whole series on that as well. Uh, I love talking about the kingdom. So today, though, I want to talk about um, an essential and a non-essential together. And the essential is this. Jesus is returning. He's returning. He will return. He is coming back. He's coming back to the earth. That's clear throughout the scriptures. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. We'll touch on one of those. And then it's in the New Testament. Jesus will return. Now, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to come against that. The non-essential I want to talk about is attached to it, and that is when. It's a little bit like, as I mentioned, previous weeks in this series, uh, talking about the days of creation where a day can be as a thousand years to the Lord, and it speaks of the day being all six days. Uh, So a day doesn't always have to be a 24-hour period in the Bible. That's just the way it is in the Bible. And so we don't know the timing, because I wasn't there, of how God did all this and how long it took to do all this. Just as with Jesus returning, we don't know the timing of exactly when that's going to happen. In fact, Jesus said himself, No one knows the timing of when I'm returning. He said, I don't even know. The Father knows. He's going to send me. So if someone says, and when I was growing up, I grew up in church, and I remember this guy who wrote a book that in 88 reasons, Jesus is returning in 1988. Anybody ever read that book? He missed it. There have been people throughout time that have said, this is the date that he's coming. This is the moment he's coming. Well, if someone says that, you know it's not that day. Right? We don't know. The Father knows. 
And Jesus will return. In fact, there's something to this is a whole other thing I could get sidetracked on that we can pray for the hastening of his return, the expedition of his return, that he would come soon. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come soon, right? Without vision, we perish, is what the proverb says. Without vision, people can perish. Um, we did not come from pond scum that evolved into monkeys and turned into you. I'm certain of that. I was at the zoo. Well, this is a sidetrack. <laughs> I was at the zoo, though. I got to tell you, I was at the zoo few years ago, and we were looking at these monkeys through these huge windows in these trees. And this monkey, how do I say this? He dumped in his hand, and then he ate it. I was watching it. And I said to everyone in there, there's probably 50 people in there, I said, we did not come from them. There is no way. Anyway, that's just a side... Okay, sorry, I apologize for everyone watching and listening. But if you believe that everything was just happenstance and they just happened to get here and then everyone just evolved in it, there's no purpose, there's no vision, and there's no reason to live a moral life because then morality isn't in there either. So you just do whatever feels good or feels right or you think you should. Every single thing is subjective, and that is just not how this is done, because God made, says through Jesus, made everything, and he made it with plan, with purpose for everything that he made. You and I have a purpose that has been given to us when we were created. When you were formed in your mother's womb, there's a purpose attached to your life for every single one of us. Amazing. I love that. And so we need to have and know that there is this vision that God has for us. And we need to be prepared for what is coming, though we don't know exactly ex how things are going to happen. We know some things, and the Lord wants us prepared for what will happen. So they don't, we are not caught off guard and unaware, and that we don't fall or back up or slide backwards or um, completely jettison or abandon faith. So we need to be prepared for some things that are coming. John 15, 17 says, this was his last prayer before he left, or before he was, yeah, he ascended to heaven, crucified, then ascended to heaven. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you, that you keep them from the evil one. That was the prayer of Jesus. For his disciples, for those following him, I'm not asking you, Father, that you remove them. I'm asking that you would keep them. Keep them in the spirit. Keep them in this love. Keep them. Watch over them. That was Jesus' prayer. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. I'm going to go through several scriptures this morning. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, this is Paul writing, about those who are asleep, those who have died that you love, I read this at funerals often, so that you will not grieve or do the, excuse me, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. 
When Jesus returns, he will bring with him those who have died previously, who are with him in spirit. When he returns, guess who he's coming with? He's coming with others. That's what he says here. In the, in the Old Testament, in Zechariah 14, speaks of Jesus returning. Doesn't have the name Jesus. This was the Old Testament. Speaking of the Messiah. It says where he will return, so we know that much. It's the same place that he departed. When he ascended, where was he, do you know? It's the Mount of Olives. Told the disciples, meet me there. And then whew, he elevated off the ground, went into the heavens. The angel says, the same way you've seen him leave, he's going to return. And then Zechariah, hundreds of years earlier, said that the Messiah would return to the Mount of Olives. So exactly, the, we know the place of where Jesus will return. And then as one of the things that there are symbols and signs throughout the scriptures to pay attention to, there's symbols and signs, Jesus spoke of those, of the age. He talked about the sunset and the sunrise and the cloud colors. There are things to pay attention to. Here's one that I pay attention to. Three things, clouds, shouts, and trumpet sounds. When you hear, I mean, we have a, the, the brass group that will be here this Christmas playing up here, which is, we don't have trumpets here often. And man, when that trumpet is playing, it is like I'm reminded. There will be a trumpet blast that will be the signal of something pretty important. It says he will come in the clouds and with a shout. When we shout in here, sometimes we'll just do that. We'll just shout to the Lord. And that is a reminder too that after, there will be a shout, and maybe it's all of the saints that are with Jesus when he's returning, I don't know. There will be a shout, there will be a trumpet blast with the clouds. I love staring at clouds. Sometimes as I'm staring at clouds, I wonder, is it today, Lord? Are you coming in the clouds today? The way that you left, are you returning that same way? Maybe it's today. If it's a clear sky, it's like, oh, maybe not. Let's read a little scripture. I'm gonna read some of what Jesus said and then try and explain a little of this quickly. Luke 21, verse 25, there will be signs, this is Jesus speaking, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. So we're gonna see more signs we haven't seen yet. And on the earth, dismay among nations. We've seen some of that. And some signs actually too. In perplexity at the roaring of the sea and of the waves. The sea's gonna get even more violent. We've seen a lot of that already. Hurricanes and such. 26, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. Fear will increase. Fear is right now. In fact, there's so many things. Humanity is reactionary. And so many things that are even going on right now are a reaction to fear. That is just, that's how it works, and we're going to see more of it. So get ready. It's okay. This is, what, this is what is happening, but we don't want to be that way. May we not react to fear. We don't want it sitting in us, and we don't want to react by it. We're to respond to the Holy Spirit, not react to fear. It's a huge difference. So if something causes fear to go surge through your whole body, stop right there. Say, no, this is not the spirit of God. He has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, right? That's the scripture, First Timothy. 
for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28, but when these things take place, straighten up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That's gonna be a day, you know, we may see this day. We don't know when this is gonna happen. It may be our children, our grandchildren, maybe all of us, I don't know. But this, I mean, as things are going on even today in the, the world and in this age, I, over the last year and a half, two years, it's felt to me as though, it felt like the, the return of Jesus and all the things that he talked about were seemingly just out of reach, way away. But I don't know about you, but these last little while here, it feels like, man, wait a minute. Maybe we're closer than I thought. Maybe we're closer than I thought. So straighten up, lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. You know, everything on earth and all of its systems, its governments, its cultures will be shaken. Which is one reason why there's going to be a lot of fear, why there is a lot of fear. When things get shaken, it's instability. And there's cause for fear. But of course, in Hebrews it says that the kingdom of God is unshakable. It's the only thing that's unshakable. The kingdom of God is unshakable. Which kingdom are we in? We've been ripped out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of the sun, of Jesus. His kingdom is unshakable. So regardless of what's going on around us in any place on the world, in the world, we can live in a way that is unshakable because we're in the kingdom that's unshakable. And if we recognize that Jesus said, crazy stuff is gonna happen. A lot of fear is gonna happen, but I am not going to live in that because I'm in the kingdom. That doesn't mean it won't affect me because we're in this world. That doesn't mean I won't be persecuted. That doesn't mean that difficult things won't happen. But in the midst of that, Jesus said to all the, the disciples, I will be with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. That presence we were feeling this morning, the presence of Jesus here, that presence is with you always, always, regardless of what will happen. Matthew 24, verse four, we're gonna read several verses here. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. So again, he starts this off, just so like pay attention. There will be misleading in these areas that he's talking about right now. So heads up everybody, this is our savior telling us, right? I'm paying attention, especially the words in red. Well, if you have a Bible, maybe well, it doesn't have the red or the black, but both together. But if you have your words in red, I'm paying even more attention to those. These are Jesus himself speaking to us, and he's saying, he's warning us, see to it that no one misleads you. Verse five, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. I was coming to church actually a couple of years ago, several years ago actually, and there was a guy on the radio. I have no idea what station I landed on or whatever. And this guy was pretending to be the Messiah. And he was speaking in first person as if he was the Lord. It was the most bizarre thing. He was one of them. He said, there are many who will say, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that's not yet the end. Verse seven, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places, there will be famines and earthquakes, 
but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. Some people right now in the world and throughout Christian history have been killed, have been persecuted to death. Some of us may yet. We don't know. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. It's interesting, there's no other so-called God on the planet that's ever used as a curse word, only the God, Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? I've never heard anybody cuss somebody in the name of Buddha. The enemy hates the name of Jesus. And if you're known by the name of Jesus, you too will be hated at some point. That's the way it is. Jesus said this. Some, in some circles right now in our, in our own country, it's that way. If you align yourself with Jesus, there's a hatred. There's a hatred. That's a demonic hatred. It's not them. It's a demonic hatred. And we need to be okay with that. I can't fix people and make them love me or even like me. And if I align myself with Jesus, they may just hate me, and what I need to do is just smile and love them in return. Right? Love those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Say all manner of evil against you, Jesus said. Okay. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, whatever time that is, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. This is one of the reasons why I'm talking about this today. Because I, every time I read that, as a pastor, and I, I know my calling has to do with being a pastor, many falling away. A shepherd losing sheep is something that they just, it's so difficult. Jesus is that great shepherd who pursues the sheep that leave, that are lost. Not that chose to leave, but the ones that are lost. And when I think of people falling away, it breaks my heart already, honestly. I've seen many throughout my life already people that I've pastored, people that were students of mine when I was leading the school of ministry, uh, some of them living the craziest lives right now, separate completely and angry and bitter and hateful, left the faith. It pains me. I hate that. And I don't want you, any of you, not one who's watching, who's here, who may come in the future, to fall away from Jesus. I'm not talking about awake church. I'm talking about Jesus. But this is what the enemy wants, is he wants you to disbelieve and to find some reason to disassociate, disassociate yourself from faith and belief and trust in Jesus. So he'll try many, many ways. Jesus is telling us this. Verse 11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So we're gonna have false prophets arising. We have some people saying they are the Christ. And then because of lawlessness is increased. This is something that's going on on our watch more than I've ever seen in my lifetime right now. Lawlessness. And Jesus says, when lawlessness is increased, what happens? Most people's love will grow cold. Lawlessness restricts love, genuine love. Love for God and love for one another. Lawlessness is self-based it is rebellion against any moral, ethical law. It is just doing the opposite of, it's really Isaiah 5 says, woe to you when you call evil good and good evil. Lawlessness is that evil that gets called good. It's uh, a, really a, a, 
sign of, our, of this generation and what's, and what's even coming more and more. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is Jesus speaking. He says this many times, and he says it to John the Apostle in, the, in Revelation. We, we went over the first churches of, in Revelation, the seven churches in Revelation. Jesus says this to John several times. He who endures, who overcomes, they'll be saved. There's an endurance that Jesus wants you to have, and he promises he'll be with you in the middle of it. But we need to endure. We need to overcome. We need to not shrink and fall away and abandon because things don't happen the way that we want them to or that we think they should. And this is part of the big danger, are these expectations of how things are gonna happen in a certain way. And if it doesn't happen in that way, and I may talk more about this next week, um, then we can get super discouraged. Verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom, I love the gospel of the kingdom, shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. There's a signature of something that we can take part in, in the gospel going to every nation, which to me speaks of in every language, before the end. Right now, as the Bible translators are working, they're saying 2033 is the year they, they are looking at right now. Well, they'll have every language on the planet, they'll have the scriptures in that language. Amazing to me. It's a beautiful thing. So we are getting close to that. It doesn't mean the gospel is necessarily preached, that they have the scriptures, but it's getting closer. So there's one sign of Jesus not returning until that happens. Verse, I'm going to skip a few. Let's go to verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, unless those days have been cut short, nor no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, which are the chosen ones or the children of God, the saints, those days will be cut short, thankfully. Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe him. If anybody says that, don't believe him. Jesus is warning us. People will. Verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. We will see, and there are some doing some of these things already. When I was living in Asia, I won't tell you about this character. I don't even like talking about him really, but um, with remarkable signs and wonders. He's in, in India. Remarkable, and they're all demonic. They are demonic signs and wonders, and it is, it, there's a lot of power behind it, but it's demonic power. Jesus says that stuff is gonna happen, but do not be misled. If you see someone doing that, they're leading you to a different God other than Jesus, doesn't matter what they're doing, doesn't matter what they can materialize. We're not to believe in that or cause our faith to go away because of that. Verse 25, behold, I've told you in advance. I keep mentioning this again. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, don't go out, or behold, he's in the inner rooms. He's at this special meeting. Jesus, it's really Jesus, he's here, he's in this special meeting. Just come over here and watch him. He's saying, don't do that. That's not me. Don't believe them. Verse 27, for just as the lightning comes 
from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. When Jesus returns, everyone's gonna know it. It's not gonna be a pocket somewhere. This is going to be public, round the world type of thing, which I don't understand how that's gonna work. Verse 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, which some of those could be um, metaphors in some ways. And then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now, well, let me just read on some more. Let's start with verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Who were the they? All the, you know, Lord asked Noah to build this ark because there was so much evil. And the Lord decided to take care and get rid of all those people except for eight. So those who were eating, drinking, marrying, giving a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand till the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. There'll be two men in the field, one will be taken, the one left. Two, men, two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Now, as I grew up, this was always interpreted that Jesus is coming and he's gonna take the good one and leave the bad one. That was the interpretation that, uh, and then there's a movie, right? Whole movie series about this. And you're driving down the road and, you know, the Christians, whoop, they disappear. And the cars all run into everybody <laughs> that were being driven by Christians. So interesting here, though, in the context, the they that were taken away were really the ungodly, not the godly ones. That's interesting. And then Matthew 13, let's read this for a moment. Matthew 13, verse 24, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and they left. And when the wheat sprouted, produced grain, then the weeds also became evident. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no. While you are gathering up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I'll say to my reapers, first gather up the weeds, first gather up the weeds, first gather up the weeds, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn." Drop down a few verses. I'm so glad when the disciples did this. When Jesus would give a parable, sometimes they said, would you please explain that to us? And I'm saying the same thing. So I'm really grateful for these disciples. Thanks for asking questions, disciples. Drop down to verse 36. And they said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. 
Verse 37, and he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. That's you and I. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. So just as the weeds were gathered up and burned with the fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. Those who commit lawlessness, there's that theme again. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And the one who has ears, let him hear. So related to eschatology or the end of time, things related to Jesus returning, there are typically three different places that people tend to land. One is called pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation. In other words, it's um, theology saying Jesus is going to return before the tribulation starts, or he's going to return in the middle of the tribulation, or he'll return after the, at the end of the tribulation. So those are basically the three. When I was first growing up, um, it was pre-trib, and what we heard was rapture, which is not a scriptural word. It's one we made up. It just means taken off, right? Um, but it's found in 1 Thessalonians 4, basically the concept of meeting the Lord in the air. Um, so that was how I grew up believing that this, you don't, as a believer, when things start getting really hard and difficult in the world, we have an escape door. Jesus comes and takes us all away before it gets really hard, which is how I believed for a long time. But then as I begin to read like Matthew 13 and what everything we just read, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Matthew 13, I'm seeing, wait a minute, in the, if it's just like the days of Noah, it was the evil people that got taken away and the righteous remained. When he tells the parable of the end of the age, it's the first, the, the weeds, the tares that are taken away, the righteous remain. So I wonder if we've had this backwards. Now, no one knows fully. Not even Jesus knows the timing, but here's why I want to share this. And we could spend a lot of time on this. And I know that I'm, people are getting angry just sitting out there. I understand that. So please, thank you for bearing with me, just to even consider this, okay? And, and here, here's why it's important for me to, to ask you to consider this. Because when you read what Jesus just said, and you read what he said in the beginning of Revelation to the Apostle John, which is again warning the churches, please warn the churches, that he that endures to the end will be saved. He that endures to the end will be saved. If I have a, what I would call a pre-trib mindset, that I'm getting out of here before it gets hard. And if Jesus decides not to do that then, if his timing is later, which I found in my experience with the Lord, his timing is often later. I don't know about you. But if I have the mindset that he's coming before things get hard, then things get hard. Things get difficult. I'm watching people doing signs and wonders and it's, it will be so easy to have my expectation dashed, my hope thrashed, 
and to fall away. But if I listen to what Jesus said and he said, listen, some of you are going to die. You're going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to be killed. But if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. If you have the mindset to be, as he said to John, an overcomer, I'm going to be an overcomer regardless of the situation, the condition of my country, who's in leadership, what persecution comes against the church. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to stay fixed, my hope on Jesus, regardless of what's going on around me. I'm not going to listen to Jesus is over there, Jesus is over there. No, he's already come. I'm not listening to any of that garbage. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. I'm going to trust him. And when he returns, I'm going to know it. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet blast. And the saints are coming with him. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I have some ideas. Here's some of my ideas on that. Oh, man, it's getting late. I'm sorry. Let me just... um, I'll mention a couple quick things. Matthew 25, the parable is another parable of Jesus's. It's the parable of the 10 virgins. Remember that one? 10 virgins. A shout happens because this is a picture of the way that Jesus will return as he describes is really a picture of the um, wedding of a Hebrew couple. I mean, he he says that, you see these parallels, these analogies, even Ephesians chapter five, says it's really about Jesus and the church. Well, Jesus' returning has a lot to do, similar um, with this couple that is getting ready for the groom to return after he promises, I'm gonna marry you, and then he goes away and builds a house. And then when the house is in the right shape, the dad says to the guy, you're ready, go get your bride. Okay, then he goes, and as he goes, the friends with him, they shout. And this bride, who doesn't know when he's going to arrive, hears the shouts of the friends of the, of the groom, and she gets all ready, comes outside to meet him, and then he takes her to his house. That is a kind of a Hebrew, old, ancient tradition and ritual of wedding. So you see the same picture of this in Jesus's Returning, that at the shout, it's a get ready, it's on, he's, he's coming, right? So then we could dive in a lot into that. We see this when, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Paul describes Jesus returning. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up together. That's the word rapture, where we get the word rapture is caught up. Together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. From that moment, wherever the Lord is, we'll be with him. At this moment, we're separate in a sense. He's at the right hand of the Father, but his spirit lives inside of us. But when he returns and we meet him, we will forever be with him. Wherever he goes, I'm going. Right? That's how this, that's how this works. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Um, if you see any president or a king, 
high-level diplomat, and they go visit another country. Let's just say our president arrives right now. He's, let's say he goes and visits Switzerland. So he's going to fly into Zurich or Geneva, and he's going to be at the airport. And guess what's going to happen at the airport? All those who he's going to visit are going to leave their homes, come out of the presidential palaces, and they're going to meet him on the tarmac. They're going to go out and meet him, and then they're going to come back together. Are you following me? Whenever a king comes, you see this with the Old Testament as well. When David first left Israel because of his son, Absalom, who took over, and then when they finally had him come back, he stayed out of the city until they came out to meet him, and then they went in together. I have, this is my suspicion. I think that, yes, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and then we return with him here. Because we will rule and reign with him, right? We will rule and reign with him. What, this life, in some ways, is a dress rehearsal. It's a getting ready to rule and reign with him on the earth. I mean, the, the Bible's very clear about that. How that happens, I don't know. I told you my suspicion, but I don't know exactly that it's going to happen. Matthew 25 Verse 31, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And I love this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. When Jesus comes back, he's coming to rule and to reign. He'll deal with all corruption Oh my goodness, that's a huge one. Think of every bit of corruption around the planet dealt with. Jesus is, will do that. So, let me end with this verse. Knowing these things, I want to be prepared for however he decides to come and when he decides to come. So I want to be prepared in my heart to endure whatever is coming our way. But, It'd be really nice if he came sooner rather than later. So I let me live in such a way as though he's coming today. What if we lived in such a way as the 10 virgins where our lamps are full, speaking of the oil, staying full of the spirit. Let's stay full of the spirit, ready for him at any moment for to hear that shout and that trumpet. But if it doesn't happen for a while, I'm not going to lose hope or lose faith. Does that make sense? That, to me, is what is so important. That's vital. Now, you may go, no, 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 Matt. It is pre-trib, and you're not a Christian unless you believe that. Sorry. That is just, that is your opinion. We don't know. The Scripture has just given us plenty. Why would Jesus warn us to, and tell us to overcome and endure if we never had to? That doesn't make any sense to me. Right? So let's be ready for whatever, whatever happens. Let me leave this with you. Hebrews 12. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We heard that already today. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility 
by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. When hostility comes against you, don't lose heart. When you're threatened with your job, don't lose heart. When you're threatened in any way for the days ahead for naming the name of Jesus and loving him and living a moral life, don't lose heart. He is with us, he is in us, he's got things for us to do. Not only his presence and his friendship, but he has things for us to do while we're here as we are preparing for his return. Oh, I'm sorry, I lied. I'm apologizing. One more verse. 1 John 3, verse 2. I already said it, but I'm going to read it again. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know this, that when he appears, how about this? We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. If we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, as it says in Hebrews 12, we're following him, we're following the king, we're letting all the things happen the way that the Lord wants them to happen. I'm not gonna try and figure out all the timing. And then when I do see him, I will be changed and will be like him when I see him how he really is. And you will do the same. We will all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, right? We will be changed. And if with that hope, then I can purify myself. I'm gonna say, Lord, I wanna live in such a way. I wanna live in such a way that honors you, that loves you where I'm not entangled with sin. I'm casting sin aside. I'm asking for forgiveness of those things. And I'm walking before you. I'm living in the light, fixing my eyes on you and you're gonna do things through me, you're gonna protect you, there's a lot that you're going to do, but whatever comes, I'm gonna stay tight with you. I'm not letting go of you, Lord. Doesn't matter what I see or feel. Amen, all right, I'm done, sorry so late. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for this amazing time, for these amazing people, Lord, for drawing us to be here today on this day, the day that you have made. And thank you for your words, Jesus. Thank you for sharing with us personally and these words being captured in red for us through these 2,000 years to keep us from being led astray. Lord, I pray that you would keep every single one who's here, who's listening to me right now. I ask you, Holy Spirit, this is my prayer, that you would keep every single one of us in your love, and in your heart, and that we would not leave you, that we would not be misled, that we would not be deceived, that we would not fall away, that that apostasy, apostasy, that great falling away, would not be anyone here. Lord, I pray that we would stay focused on you, fixing our eyes on you, not on everything going on in the world, not on every problem, not on every criticism, but fixed on you. We love you. Lord, thank you that you keep us. May your seal and your sign of your spirit be upon us. Mark us. Mark us with your spirit. And may our hearts be yours that we can enjoy you together forever.